Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. Well, this week we are beginning a new sermon series entitled Peter, Rock On. So as you know, we uh, crowdsourced that last week because I'm terrible at coming up with titles. Um, and this came from Mike Petrella. So thank you. He's a, a lot of you sent in great suggestions, but this was one of his. We kind of whittled it down. There was another piece, but we thought Rock On captured it well for a couple of reasons. One is Peter's name means rock. So you get it? You get it? Yeah. Um, the second reason is the, uh, the phrase rock on is actually a pretty good description of the overall meaning of this letter. This is a letter of encouragement. First Peter is writing this to encourage Christians who are struggling. So it just seemed like a nice way to capture the meaning of the letter and to get a pun in there, which I always appreciate. So Mike, great work. Thank you for that. We're going to hire him. So we are beginning this series on, on 1 Peter. And I'm going to be reading from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. And as I read, I invite you to hear the word of God. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen and destined by God the Father and sanctified by the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in abundance. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold that, though perishable, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. For you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of God. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for gathering us. We thank you for your scriptures. And we ask that you speak to us now. Lord, help us to understand your word. Help us to hear your word. Help us to take your word. Help us to be shaped and formed by it and send us out into the world to be your people, displaying the hope we have to all, Lord. So help us now. We ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So one thing that I dealt with when I was little, like elementary school age, was homesickness. Which is kind of odd. It's not like home life was great. But when I would go to a friend's house, a sleepover or a slumber party, around 10, 30, 11 o'clock, when we'd start getting ready to go to sleep, my mind would start racing. 
And I just would want to be at my house. I wanted my bed. I wanted my pillow. I wanted my cats. I wanted to just be home. It got so bad that I would wake up a friend whose house it was and say, hey, go tell your parents to call my parents and have them come take me home. I didn't even want to be there anymore. And it happened over and over again. So as you can imagine, after a while, people stopped inviting me over to sleepovers, which I was A-okay with. (laughs) Didn't want to be there anyway, people. But when I hit sixth grade, there was this thing called sixth grade camp where we'd have to go away up into the mountains. It was a program my school did. And we would learn up in the mountains, away from our parents, away from our houses for four nights. Monday through Friday, we would be up there in the mountains. I was terrified. It was like the homesickness started three weeks before I would have to go to sixth grade camp. I already knew that I would be there and I would be miserable and I didn't want to be there. I remember we had to write letters to our counselors, telling them a little bit about ourselves so that they could prepare for us because different schools would do this each week. And I wrote my counselor, and I think the only thing I mentioned was, hey, I have homesickness, and I don't really want to be there when I meet you. (laughs) So I bring that up because I think that the people that Peter is writing to in this letter, I think they felt something similar but far more significant. That's, I think, the people that Peter is directing this letter to. But before we look at them a little bit, I want to talk a little bit about Peter. And one thing that is my job as your pastor is to help you understand where there is debate so that you're not surprised. And if you were to go and look up the letter of 1 Peter online, you go and Google it, one of the first things you'll see is that there is debate about whether or not Peter, the apostle of Jesus, actually wrote this letter. That's just one thing you'll come across. And I'm not going to go into the ins and outs of it. I'll say that the two major positions are, one, that Peter did write this letter. The second one is that a disciple of Peter's wrote this letter in his name, trying to carry on his teaching. And there's different reasons. For me, where I stand on this and where I would encourage you to stand too, is I think we can trust that the ideas in this letter come from Peter, the apostle of Jesus, one way or another that this is Peter's teaching that we can rest in, we can trust in. And that this was received by the church as Peter's teaching because they knew that it was Peter's ideas that are in this letter. So I'm going to talk about this letter as though Peter is the one who wrote it. But I want you to know there is debate if you go and look that up, so don't be surprised by that. But Peter is a pretty important figure. Who exactly is Peter? Well, we're going to go through his greatest hits. You guys get that? Rock on, greatest hits, you see? Yeah. Get ready for a lot of that this series, folks. We're going to go through Peter's greatest hits here, though. Who is Peter? Well, Peter was one of Jesus' earliest followers. That's one of the first things to know about him. He was a fisherman, and he was probably 12 to 15 years old, around that age, when Jesus arrived on the scene and saw him and said, come and follow me. And Peter left everything to go and to follow Jesus. As he was following Jesus, Peter was the first to acknowledge that Jesus was the Messiah. That's something that's consistent in the Gospels. The first person to voice to Jesus, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. God is working through you in that way. It was Peter. Peter also, we're told in the Gospel of Matthew, walked on water. 
He had these moments of deep bravery, these moments of courage where he was willing to step out in faith in a way that the others weren't. But Peter's also known for some moments of cowardice also because he's also the disciple who denied Jesus three times. In Jesus' darkest hour, Peter didn't even acknowledge knowing Jesus. As Jesus was on trial there, Peter said, I have no idea who he is. Three times he denied him. But then a few days later, Peter was one of the earliest witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. He was one of the earliest people to see that Jesus had been raised from the dead, that God was working in Jesus, overcoming death in Jesus, and that Jesus was there raised from the dead. Peter then became one of the key leaders of the church. He was there at Pentecost, the day talked about in the book of Acts, where the Holy Spirit descends. Peter is there, and Peter gives a sermon that causes thousands of people to convert to Jesus. Peter was the first megachurch pastor, apparently. He worked with Paul. He also argued with Paul. We're told from Paul in the letter to the Galatians that they had a disagreement that Paul had to oppose him to his face. And we're told in the traditions after the Bible, you don't find this in the Bible, but in the literature after the Bible in the early church, we're told that Peter died a martyr. His death is tied to the city of Rome. During a persecution, he lost his life for the sake of the gospel. And his teaching is connected with the gospel of Mark, the gospel that we just went through. The people who wrote about Peter, wrote about the gospel of Mark early on, would say that Peter's teaching was found there in the gospel of Mark. Those two were connected. So Peter's a pretty big deal. He was important in the early church. And if you read the book of Acts, the first 10, 11 chapters are really about Peter and his ministry. At this point, though, with this letter, Peter would be coming towards the end of his life. The church is more developed now. It's not a startup anymore. It's established. And a new generation of leaders are getting ready to take over in the church also. So that's Peter. That's who wrote the gospel. That's who the ideas in the gospel come from. But now who exactly is Peter writing to? Well, he gives us that answer at the very beginning here. He says this phrase that is a very loaded phrase when he's addressing this letter at the beginning. He says, to the exiles of the dispersion. The exiles of the dispersion. The Greek word there for dispersion is diaspora. You may have heard that term also. That's very loaded language. You see, Peter was Jewish. Many of the people he'd be writing to were also Jewish. And that term exile and the term diaspora, they have a whole history for Jewish people, especially people living in Jesus and Peter's day. Hundreds of years before Jesus, something happened called the Babylonian exile. The nation of Judah, the nation of Israel, they were combined at that point. The people of God lived there in Judah. And the nation of Babylon came in and destroyed everything. Destroyed the temple where God lived. It was the first time the temple was destroyed. The Romans would do it again hundreds of years later, but the first time was Babylon. And what the Babylonians did, this was a standard practice for them. When they took over an area, when they conquered a new nation, they would take 
significant amounts of people from that nation and move them and displace them so that there wouldn't be a rebellion. They would take about half the population sometimes, maybe less than that, somewhere around there, and they would move them into a new land, and they took people, the people of God, to Babylon. So, so much of the Bible in the Old Testament is reflecting on the exile. So much of it is dealing with the trauma from the exile. This was a national trauma. One New Testament scholar writing about the introduction to 1 Peter says that words that are typically associated with diaspora or exile include trauma, expulsion from the homeland, refugees, and the like. Punishment too comes to mind. So when Peter is invoking exile and diaspora and dispersion, it's not just a title. He's speaking to a grief that these people share. He's using a a metaphor of the exile to Babylon to describe what it is they're feeling. And that's where I say that the people Peter is writing to, they're experiencing a certain homesickness that is similar to what I described at the beginning, but far more significant, more traumatic. Not something that they would laugh about in a sermon 20-something, 30 years later. How old am I now? I don't remember. This was a significant trauma, though, that Peter is invoking in them. That's how he's describing what they're experiencing and their feeling. And I think a certain level of homesickness it actually makes sense when you're following Jesus. You see, Peter isn't talking about a physical diaspora that they're experiencing. He's talking to Christians who are in five different provinces of the Roman Empire, but they weren't picked up and rooted out and moved to a new location. Instead, what he's identifying is their experience of following Jesus sets them apart from the people around them where they are. And as the letter continues, you learn they're experiencing some persecution because of the gospel, because of them following Jesus. They're isolated. Though they are in their own homes, their homes are no longer safe. Their home is no longer a home to them. And they look around at the world around them and they realize this is not the way it's supposed to be. I think that feeling is true for most of us who follow Jesus. At some point, you look around at the world you live in and you realize this isn't the way our homes are supposed to be. This isn't the way the world was supposed to be. You can look around at the culture that we live in and you realize it doesn't reflect the values that Jesus teaches us. And that's going to be true for any human culture that you are part of, any nation you are part of. You're going to look around and realize Human beings fall short of the values Jesus teaches us. The way we live our lives, the way we interact with one another, it doesn't reflect what God intended. But because we are Christians, because we know that God raised Jesus from the dead, we also know that there's something better coming. We know that this world will be restored We know that home will be established, that we will have a place. And when you live in that tension, a feeling similar to homesickness makes a lot of sense. Because we know this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And when the people Peter was writing to were experiencing their persecution, they knew this is not the way it is supposed to be. 
And that longing can develop inside of you. So when Peter is writing his letter, he's writing it to the exiles of the dispersion, people who are feeling something similar to what Israel felt in the exile in Babylon. And he's writing to encourage them. That's the point of this letter. He's writing to encourage them in their faith, to help them weather the persecution that they're experiencing, to help them not fall away in faith, to help them learn how to live with the homesickness that they feel. So how does Peter encourage them in this letter? Well, there's two ways, really. The first is right here in this introduction. In verse 3, Peter says, he reminds them of the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the first way Peter encourages them. He reminds them of the resurrection. He reminds them of the hope that they have. Now, resurrection is something that if you come to Stonebridge enough, you're going to hear it regularly. Resurrection is Christian faith. That is what the Christian faith is. Resurrection is the belief that Jesus was raised from the dead. And because of that, we too will be raised from the dead. That hope that when we're raised from the dead, God will recreate, re-restore this world. That God will make this world new again. That hope is Christian faith. Resurrection is Christian faith. The writer C.S. Lewis actually describes this really well. C.S. Lewis once wrote, To preach Christianity meant primarily to preach the resurrection. The resurrection is the central theme in every Christian sermon reported in the Acts. The resurrection and its consequences were the gospel or good news which the Christians brought. What we call the gospels, the narratives of our Lord's life and death, were composed later for the benefit of those who had already accepted the gospel of the resurrection. The first fact in the history of Christianity is a number of people who say they have seen the resurrection. If they had died without making anyone else believe this gospel, no gospels ever would have been written. The resurrection is Christian faith. That's the hope that we have. Without that hope, we have nothing. The, the church isn't here to just mark you as better than the people around you. That's not the church at all in any way. The church isn't here just to give you a, just a community. Community is great, but that's not the primary reason the church is here. The church is here because of the gospel of the resurrection of Jesus. That news, that hope, that is what defines us. That marks us, and that should be our identity. And that's what Peter reminds the exiles when he's writing to them. Remember the hope that you have. Remember the living hope of the resurrection. Remember the inheritance that comes with that. Remember that that is who you are. That's the first thing Peter does. The second thing Peter does, though, is give them, he gives them a bunch of practical instructions. From this point on in the letter, it really becomes about how do you do a bunch of day-to-day -day things? How do you structure a household? How do you interact with business partners? How do you treat the people who are persecuting you? becomes a series of practical instructions, day-to-day -day living. And that might sound like a bit of a letdown. I mean, Peter talks about this hope that we have, this deep hope in this really beautiful language to begin the letter. And then he starts giving us a checklist of chores. But I think Peter knew what he was doing here. 
Sometimes when you're experiencing homesickness, when you feel like nothing is right, simple day-to-day practical instructions can be what grounds you, what pulls you back into reality and helps you see the opportunities in front of you. Remember I said that I wrote to my counselor at sixth grade camp about how nervous I was and how homesick I get? Well, the counselor, bless his heart, had a full-on game plan for me. Every night before we would go to bed, he would take me through the schedule for the next day, highlighting the exciting things that we were going to do, highlighting the opportunities that I would have, so that when I was going to sleep, I would be thinking about that and not thinking about home. And I have to say, it actually worked. After a couple of nights, I didn't feel any homesickness. And sixth grade camp was awesome. I even got my first girlfriend there. She dumped me three weeks later in a brutal way. She passed a note around the whole class to me. (laughs) Debbie Kuzak, if you're watching online, I remember. But that was not sixth grade camp. The actual camp itself was a blast. It was fun. And it was that change in perspective. He figured out how to help me look at what was right in front of me and not miss out on that opportunity. That's what Peter is doing in this letter. He's taking these exiles who might feel like this persecution is overwhelming, who might feel like this deep, deep homesickness they're feeling, this longing for a better world is too much and makes it so they can't interact with the world around them. And he says, no, you have a job to do. This hope that we have needs to spread. Over and over again, he tells the people he's writing to, Treat others with dignity, even if they're persecuting you. Be good to others. Be kind to them so that they see the hope. The whole point of this letter is to help the people Peter is writing to structure their lives in a way that the hope they live is embodied. That everybody sees that hope and that others will embrace that hope. There's a great opportunity for each and every one of us. Whatever you're going through in your day-to-day life, there's an opportunity there for you to share the hope you have with others. But you can get so bogged down in how failed and flawed this world is that you miss that opportunity. Peter doesn't want the people he's writing to to separate from the world around them. That's impossible. He wants them to engage, to share this hope, to connect with others so that this hope can be lived out and so that it can spread. He encourages them by giving them day-to-day instructions so that they can do just that. One day, we know, we proclaim, we believe Jesus will return. He will be revealed, as Peter talked about in the beginning of this letter. And in that day, this world will be made right, and we will be home. But until that day, there's billions of people in this world who need to know of the hope in Jesus. God has placed you wherever you are so that that hope can spread through you to them. May you be encouraged May you be equipped and may the hope that you have spread to those you come into contact with. May you be encouraged. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your encouragement. We thank you for the hope that we have. It can be easy for us to look around at this world and to think it's too much. To look around this world and to think that we can't engage, that we have to shut down, that we have to just protect ourselves, Lord. But that is not what you ask of your people. You encourage us so that we can go out and share our hope. 
You encourage us so that we can go out and let others know of who you are. So help us to do just that. Through this letter in Peter, Lord, help us to be strengthened. Help us to be encouraged. Help us to share this hope.
I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. have been so, so good to me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I could learn. Coming after me There's no wall you want 